You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 192. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Today, we're going to return to another artificial intelligence update. I know that uh, some of you are here for like the current event stuff, maybe for some of the controversial stuff, although we do have some controversial stuff today. Um, But uh, AI is, well, it's not just interesting, it's going to come up again and again, and it has come up again and again. That's kind of my topic. So uh, there have been a few articles that I found interesting that have uh, come across my desk lately. And so I want to go into them a little bit. Uh, so, but first next week, I'm really excited next week. I've got some big news for you. I will, uh, if you want the news early, you could always join our locals at maximum.locals.com and ask me anything. And both, both me and, uh, Aaron are on there, but both Aaron and myself are on there. And, uh, we have, uh, uh, this this episode is not on video, but we have a pretty cool studio set up for the video, so get ready for that. And uh, yeah, lots of discussions next week. But today we're going to go into AI, and I want to start with a recent article in the BBN Times called, Is Explainable AI a Distant Dream? And so the author is talking about the need for AI to explain itself when it's making decisions. Now, sometimes when we make decisions, we don't quite know why we're doing it. And it's the same with machines. It's maybe a statistical model. So the machine doesn't know exactly, or, you know, if you dig down into the statistics, you don't know exactly the the story of what exactly caused the machine to do something is kind of murky. And so if you want to invest in an explainable version of AI, uh, well, you have to invest in it. You have to actually design the system to be explainable, which is a little bit more uh, difficult, but as this article suggests, is also very useful. And uh, it, it also uh, has a uh, ramifications in terms of, okay, is this a statistical trick or is this a model that actually understands what's going on? And that's what I like to talk about a lot. So first of all, uh, one of the reasons why the author says that uh, you know we need explainable AI is we want to know why it was a mistake made because you know we humans can often find error in our reasoning. For example, if you are uh, you know if you're hearing an argument from someone, it could be all the way from like a mathematical proof to just like you know an argument in terms of uh, this is why we should do this. Well, you can also you you often have a chain of reasoning, and so. What we do is, as humans, we can look for an error in that chain of reasoning as to why we're doing this. But uh, if you're using a statistical model, uh, you could say, yes, if we do this, it's statistically most likely, but we don't really have the the chain of reasoning to fall back on. And so there's kind of a difference between, again, regurgitation, statistical tricks, and understanding. So I'm just going to read a clip from this text uh, to get an idea. A hospital has a neural network or a black box AI model in place to diagnose a brain ailment in a patient. The intelligence system is trained to find data patterns from past records and the patient's existing medical papers. Using predictive analysis, if the model forecasts that the subject is vulnerable to brain-related diseases in the future, then the reason 
behind the predictions may usually not be 100% clear. So the article is mostly talking about problems in machine learning where you're trying to predict something. There's, there's oftentimes, uh, I, I often see AI as kind of a broadening of machine learning, and we're going to get into that in a minute because AI is generally how do I generate intelligence? And machine learning is how do I generate learning? Now, learning is a big part of intelligence, but perhaps you can have an intelligence system that is is not doing learning. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about that in, in, in towards the end of, of today when we're going to talk about what is intelligence, which I want to get to. Um, really interesting question on what is intelligence, and we don't really have, uh, we have competing definitions. We don't have a definition that's kind of agreed upon, which is, uh, which is kind of mind-blowing if you think about it. You talk about intelligence all the time. So the article here, though, about uh, explainable uh, AI is, uh, it gives four reasons why you might want AI to be explainable. The first is kind of accountability. Um, I guess that's not necessarily it could be holding someone accountable, but I think more in in terms of you know being able to to tell what's going on, it gives us greater control because then we could ask, well, what are we really trying to solve, and make sure we're trying to solve the right problem. If we could go in and see what it's doing, we could see if we're getting off track from that. Uh, it helps us do improvements. Number three, because if you can look inside of it and see where it went went wrong, then you could build something in to fix it. Or if uh, you know if the uh, algorithm gives you a result you don't like, but you think it's an accurate result, uh, uh, then you could go in and see how can I change my input to give me a result that uh, that I do like. Um, I don't know, an example I'm thinking of is, let's say you have a statistical algorithm to determine whether or not, uh, you know, it, well, let's say it's, it's, it's generating your life expectancy. And you put in some things and you say, okay, uh, here are some things about my personal lifestyle. What, what kind of exercise do you do? What kind of diet do you get? You drink, do you smoke? All that stuff. If it could give you um, some kind of quantification of, uh, you know, not just here's how long you're likely to live, but what's the one thing that I can do that can increase that by the most, then uh, that's really helpful. I think in a, in a lot of situations, not just health situations, but the health one is very stark. And then fourthly, he talks about the idea that you could use this to make new discoveries. So if you can actually audit what the algorithm is doing, um, you know, you could see maybe it has come up with solutions to other also interesting, important problems in the course of uh, doing its work. So, you know, in the... Uh, I don't know, in the, in the uh, brain health problem he talked about, maybe it, maybe there are some uh, co, uh, I, I don't know what it's called, when you have other, um, other problems that correlate with this problem, maybe internally uh, it's also predicted those other problems, and maybe that's going to be very uh, useful in that, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So, so the ability to not just solve the problem that it's solving, but maybe it solved a bunch of sub-problems. We can like kind of go in there and see what's, what it's going at. So the author also notes that many organizations don't want to be transparent externally. So they don't actually, even if they, well, first of all, if they were to make their AI uh, or machine learning algorithms explainable, then there'd be a lot of pressure to uh, open that up you know, to regulators or to governments or to uh, have, you know, people asking, well, what's going on in there? And 
They don't want to be transparent externally because first of all, they can get their intellectual property copied. If they're, if they're using this to build a product, maybe someone could use that information to build the same product. Uh, also, you know, if, <laughs> you know, for example, if you're doing, uh, trying to do automated trading or something like that, then obviously if you, if, if that, um, kind of gets out there and someone copies that, then your entire competitive advantage goes away. They could also be opened up to lawsuits, which, you know, kind of makes you ask, well, what kind of shady thing are they doing to begin with? But on the other hand, I mean, a lot of these loss, a lot of these lawsuits can be, uh, quite frivolous. I mean, think about it. If it's, um, if it's an IP lawsuit, like, you know, if uh, it turns out that your AI is doing something internally that someone claims they have a patent on, <laughs> some patent troll goes after you, you know, that could happen as well. Um, or you, they could open up a lawsuit to discrimination, even if their AI is not being discriminatory. Uh, well, now all of a sudden, if the internal uh, auditability of your algorithm is out there, then you have a lot of attack vectors for people to at least claim that it's discriminatory and kind of slap you with a, a lawsuit. So all of those things are certainly uh, problems that people think about. And then unfortunately, the, <laughs> the end, unfortunately or fortunately, uh, yeah, the, the end of the article calls for regulation in AI, which... I kind of feel like the calls for regulation of, quote, AI are sort of meaningless because uh, if you think about machine learning, it's just computation. It's just statistics. And the way I see it, regulation of computation, regulation of mathematical formula is, is meaningless. First of all, uh, just in terms of right, like I should be able to compute anything I damn please, just like, the, the, just like freedom of speech. But I feel like freedom of computation is even more absolute than freedom of free speech. If I'm just like, you know, in my apartment computing something, uh, nobody should be able to go after that. And for, first of all, how are, you gonna, um, how are you going to actually enforce that is a really important question. Uh, so you're not really regulating intelligence. That sounds kind of crazy, um, but perhaps they'll try. Perhaps it will come, like it or not. But I think it will come not in the, in the form of saying, this is what you can and can't compute, but in the form of saying this is what you can and can do can and can't do in terms of the decisions you're allowed to make based on these computations. Now, you know that those regulations are already there in terms of something like uh, insurance, for example, where you're not allowed to uh, discriminate against based on certain things. But on some sense, I do kind of feel like every freaking article ends with a call for regulation, like you kind of need it to be blessed by the powers that be and get shared by the right people. And it's never very specific. It's not like we need this specific regulation, it's just we need regulation. So that's my criticism here. But um, hey, that's just everywhere. I read a ton of articles about that. Otherwise, this article makes some great points about explainability. And as I'll get to in a minute, and as I'll continue get to get to, to in, uh, in my research, how it's very important that I, I think that the, um, the, the, the next wave, the next boundary of innovation in terms of artificial intelligence that is, has been ignored by the era of big data, the era of Google that we've been in is uh, explainability and understanding, not just explainability, but understanding and causality. And I'm not saying that Google does none of that, but I feel like the focus uh, in the big data era has just been gathering terabytes, petabytes of data and using it to, for example, serve ads and not really understanding on a very deep level, you know, 
uh, how people feel about those ads. I mean, I you know you've all observed that you bought an ad for you got an ad for something you already bought, or you got an ad for something you mentioned, but you have no useful. It's not very smart, but it has scale, and it has so much scale that it makes so much money that um, that they care about it a lot. But if it actually under if they built something that actually understood you. Um, in, in a way that these broad statistical models do not, then they could actually match you up with a product that could make your life better uh, more easily. So uh, that's something, I, maybe it won't come in the form of ads, but you know, maybe, but I'm, I'm just saying that in terms of uh, the, the underinvestments, I feel have been in term, in causality and understanding. And that's where the, um, that's where the openings are in the future for some big breakthroughs, I believe. Um, so, okay. Uh, secondly, a second article that came across is an article that was posted on an archive. It's actually not an article. It's an academic paper, but it's from DeepMind. You can get there, deepmind.com, and it's an AI research organization. And the paper is entitled, Challenges in Detoxifying Language Models. Yes, it is sort of a social justice research uh, perhaps p- pushing an agenda. There has been so much research and effort into figuring out this, the quote-unquote problematic aspects of every language model. Um, but look, I'm not going to try to read this article and get outraged at you, don't worry. So let's try to actually dive in and see what they might be trying to say. But I do feel like this is such an obsession of the time. Sometimes things are overfunded and perhaps, you know, too much AI mind space is being used in terms of finding a, a bad word in a language model, and they're not working on things like medical research and supply chains and, I don't know, stuff that we all need to keep us alive and keep us healthy and happy. And So uh, maybe that stuff's important too, and maybe we should research that, but I feel like half of AI researchers want to find bad words in language models. But anyway, okay, that being said, I said it. Let's go ahead and see what they're talking about. And first of all, now this actually reminds me of an episode that I did. We talked a lot about this stuff um, going back, going back pretty far. Well, first of all, there was the episode about the whole kerfuffle. Oh God, I hate. I, I don't like the word kerfuffle. But uh, chaos at Google, right? Yes. So that's episode one forty nine, which was on chaos at Google, and that was around the research that they were doing at Google into this stuff and how controversial it was at Google and led to the firing of Tim the Jibru and all that. And then if you go back all the way to episode 18, way back in 2018, uh, Aaron and I talked about uh, on episode 18, uh, the title is AI Gone Psychopathic. And what happened there was MIT, uh, a group at MIT, they put, uh, you know, they, they put a bot out there that learned from Twitter and then the bot became, uh, well, it started tweeting horrible stuff because people tweeted at it horrible stuff to try to teach it that. Look, anyone who knows human nature knows that that's what's going to happen. And so they pushed this out as MIT is some grand discovery that AI could be psychopathic when it starts repeating things that people put on it on Twitter. But uh, that's... Uh, that's what people think about now. So maybe too much research energy has gone into this problem. I don't know if, and it's an obvious, you know, it's an obvious problem. And the 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 um, the actual damage that it's done 
um, I don't feel has been quantified that enough. So maybe we, have we considered that it's too much? I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Go email me at localmaxradio at gmail.com. Tell me what you think or on our locals, maximum.locals.com. So anyway, what, what these guys at uh, DeepMind were trying to do, they trained their machine learning algorithm, their, uh, their language model, essentially their, their deep language model, kind of like a GPT. I don't know if they actually use GPT-3, but something like that. And they trained it to avoid toxic conversations. So they kind of, they wanted to eliminate uh, things that were, you know, anti-LGBT or, or racist or against sort of a group of people. And so they found that when they trained AI to avoid this, they actually were training the, the, their language model. I should say language model, not AI, to be more specific. They trained their language model to avoid all controversial topics. Not all controversial topics, but many controversial topics. So, you know, they started to eliminate conversations they wanted to have. Uh, so, for example, if you are in a group that is uh, kind of verbally mal- maligned uh, online, and when people malign your group, that's often reported as, uh, as harassment, then uh, their algorithm, not surprisingly, will just try to avoid talking about that group in particular. It's like, okay, we don't want to talk about the trans people. We don't want to talk, no, you know, I'm, I'm sure they don't want to talk about Jews. I'm sure they don't want to talk about, you know, whatever. I mean, that's, you know, that's, uh, what was that uh, episode that I did when, when um, Henry Abramson's uh, stuff got uh, taken down from, uh, from Twitter earlier. I mean, there was a human in the loop on that. But yeah, a machine on the loop could do the same thing. So again, this is not surprising, but it's also shows, I think, illustrates the difference between statistics, between just, you know, maybe uh, deep learning algorithms, maybe very smart machine learning algorithms, maybe a very smart language model, but that just doesn't have the, the understanding and the causality all rolled up in there. It doesn't really understand what these phrases are trying to say. And so it sort of falls back on, let's just avoid these topics altogether. So again, I, I thought a lot about this and um, it's, it's, it's again, Again, it's understanding and causality is something that they don't want to. I feel like the uh, the solutions always involve, well, we have to give our AI teams more money, of course, and more regulation. Those are always the solutions. But <laughs> but um, uh, those are the only solutions that invented. Uh, need for further research, which I don't disagree with. I mean, it's, you know, you have to keep on keep on pushing forward the research. But I, I, I feel like what they're going to do is okay, next they're going to try to build a, a compensating model and then they'll find some problem with that and then they'll build another compensating model and they'll find some problem with that um, all while essentially building in their own biases about what's problematic and what's not and then not actually building a machine that understands the the words that it's that it's reading and writing. So uh, that's uh, that's the direction I would want to avoid if I wanted to put research dollars into that. Okay, so I want to back up for a minute, and I want to ask a question. You know, what is artificial intelligence? That's going to ask me a long time. I think I have a pretty good grasp on machine learning. Uh, what is artificial intelligence is not very well defined because 
First of all, the question of what is intelligence is not very well defined. Um, so here's what intelligence isn't. I think it's not consciousness and it's not self-awareness because that is one function of humanity, our subjective view of the world. Like I can, it's not experiencing the world as well because I think a lot, a lot of one big difference between uh, humans and machines is that we actually experience the world. The machines, as far as we know, do not. Um, and we can't really verify that. So we don't know whether we can replicate human experiences in machine. We don't know whether we can replicate consciousness in machines. And, and we don't really know enough about self-awareness. And so I think we can say, yes, we have been able to build some degree of intelligence into machines, but consciousness, self-awareness, uh, subjective experience that uh, we either don't have or we don't know if we have. So we'll put that aside for a minute. One, uh, so one definition that I found online of intelligence is the ability to acquire knowledge and skills. So that's, uh, that's sort of, uh, that's an interesting definition. It's kind of an easy one, uh, but there might be some problems with that. So first of all, does it matter how easy it is for you to acquire new knowledge and skills? Do you have to be taught by someone else? Uh, um, and I mean, usually, yes, you have to be taught by experience. You have to learn those knowledge and skills. But then, you know, computers can learn anything as long as they're programmed. Computers that are Turing complete, that is. Uh, you know, so that just means almost any machine is Turing complete. Uh, that Well, not almost any machine, but any computer you get is Turing complete. That, complete. that just means that you can do any computation that... Uh, you want on there. It might take a long time, but any sort of mathematical computation that you can think of, you could do on that. So for example, a calculator is not Turing complete because you can't program, uh, you can't program checkers on your calculator, but you can easily program checkers and chess in your computer. You can program, uh, you know, you, pretty much anything you want. Uh, so um, by this definition, any basically computers are Turing complete can be programmed to do anything so they can acquire knowledge and skills so long as they have a, a programmer, but that's not really what we're talking about because now the programmer is sort of, uh, is sort of, is sort of leading here. Um, so, and, and then of course, then you back up and you're like, well, then all matter is intelligent because matter can be made into computers and then computers can be, uh, can be programmed. So maybe it's something about the ease of acquiring these new skills. It doesn't have to be, you know, we kind of feel like, okay, if you are, um, uh, you know, if, if, if you can acquire new skills and build skills on skills more easily than just, you know, a, a blank command prompt, then perhaps you have the ability to acquire knowledge. Uh, but yeah, Again, it's, um, it's, and also all humans have the ability to acquire knowledge and skills. Maybe human, maybe it's a pretty good uh, uh, definition for human intelligence, but it's not a very good definition for machine intelligence. And th that being said, I kind of feel like I divided up into different, well, there's lots of different kinds of intelligence, but I feel like there are three major categories that I'm often thinking about. The first is kind of the natural intelligence, which is, you and I, and, you know, I, I think there's some intelligence in, in animals and, and whatever. So in other words, the intelligence that has been, um, uh, created, uh, you know, by, by the natural world in the form of 
us people. It's using your brain. The second one is artificial intelligence. That's the one we're talking about today. Can we build an intelligence uh, using our natural intelligence, using our brain? Can we build an artificial intelligence? And then there's kind of a third one that I think is related to the other two, but should get an honorable mention. So maybe this is not an exact, but I, f- I feel like there is an emergent kind of intelligence. So for example, the economy as a whole has a certain degree of intelligence where um, the things that get done need to get done, even though no one person or no one node um, actually has all of the information available. Now, the economy is made up of many natural intelligences and also many artificial intelligences, uh, you know, because there's there's AIs that are uh, running our you know running our apps and and running our algorithms and also you know uh, allocating our capital. Believe it or not, so huge, huge amounts of money are being pushed around by AIs. Uh, but I feel like the emergent intelligence that comes out of that, the economy, is kind of another kind of intelligence. And it's almost a super intelligence. It's almost a, it's almost a supercomputer, but it can't do some of the same things that, that, that humans can do, that a single human can do, or even some of the single AI can do. And then, you know, I kind of feel like the ecosystem as a whole is also intelligent even if, you know, you could say a lot of the plants and animals are not very intelligent, but um, through the uh, course of evolution, how we've created uh, or, or a whole ecosystem has been built up on Earth, there is probably some degree of super intelligence in that as well. Now, it could be that our natural intelligence is an emergent intelligence, uh, you know, so it's it's sort of... Our bodies create this emergent intelligence. That's there. Our body is an ecosystem that creates a natural intelligence. Could be a lot of AIs are also emergent intelligence with lots of different subsystems. Maybe you can argue that. But it does feel like there's a difference between natural, artificial, and then the emergent ones I'm talking about, which is the economy and the ecosystem. So, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Um, but uh, yeah, I. There's something unsatisfying about the ability to acquire knowledge and skills as the definition. So let's see. Let's go into further definitions. I have um, one from the American Psychological Association here from the Wikipedia article. And I know Wikipedia, but we're going to go into the Wikipedia article today. The one that the APA writes is, individuals differ from one another in their ability to understand complex ideas, to adapt effectively to the environment, to learn from experience, to engage in various forms of reasoning, to overcome obstacles by taking thought. Although these individual differences can be substantial, they are never entirely consistent. A given person's intellectual performance will vary on different occasions in different domains and as judged by different criteria. So it sounds like they really don't know what intelligence is. They kind of have an idea. They kind of have, it's one of those things where it's like, I know it when I see it. But um, I sort of feel like this, uh, particularly since the definition um, is very much reliant on, well, it could be different, it could be this, it could be that. We're not really eliminating very much, but I like the thing, the, the ability to understand complex ideas. So in other words, there is some idea of complexity there, and then adapt effectively to the environment. That is, uh, that's a good one. And to learn from experience, engage in reasoning, and overcome obstacles. So I think those... Uh, are are really important ingredients uh, of intelligence. And I've actually heard it 
given more simply, it's the ability to perform well over a variety of environments. And so it kind of makes sense, again, with the American Psychological Association talking about complexity. Uh, if you perform well at a task that's too simple to be considered intelligence, you know, you're missing the variety apart. You're, you're not going to be uh, good at a variety of different environments, and you're not really open to complex ideas if what you're doing is very simple. But I think it also allows for a narrow AI, which is narrow AI is artificial intelligence that's only in a very specific case. So it's not too much variety, but it's a little bit variety. That's sort of what I think of. So a good example of narrow AI would be maybe uh, the, the chess playing computers, um, the chess playing algorithms. So, okay, it's good at chess. Is it good in a variety of different environments? Well, it's not good at environments that are not chess, but but it, it, chess has an enormous amount of different potential board game configurations. And so the fact that it can perform well under many different board game configurations and many different strategies by the uh, opponent, well, that is a sort of impressive wide variety of environment, maybe not impressive as a, as a, as a human. It's still, it's, it could be smarter than a human as, it could be better, it could perform better than a human at chess, but it also uh, doesn't perform in the variety of environments that a human does. So that's why it could be called a narrow AI, but still AI because it's not so simple. And so, these definitions, they do kind of allow for different types of intelligence, for sure. Because if you talk about uh, a wide variety of environments or complex ideas, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you have to be perform well in all environments. In fact, if you think all environments in the universe, uh, basically right now, if any of us were taken anywhere but Earth, and even most of the places on Earth, we'd probably just not survive uh, for very long. Uh, so even if you are... Uh, intel even if you can perform well in a wide variety of environments, it means like, you know, you could be good at a million situations. No, you could be good in like uh, uh, one in a million situations, but there are so many possible situations that your variety is very high. And then someone else, you know, they could be good in different situations. Possibly they overlap with yours, but probably they don't always overlap with yours. Um, even though it's a very, very small slither of quote unquote, all the situations in the universe, which again, is a term that I kind of hurts my brain a little bit. And so another uh, thing to consider here is we usually consider mental performance and mental learning as part of intelligence, but maybe it's not. You know, they say that your muscles learn as you work out. And in fact, it turns out that in robotics, um, if, well, if you look at some of those Boston Dynamics uh, bots, a lot of the research comes into how do you teach a bot how to, how to learn to move effectively? And that's kind of intelligence as in and of itself. But I guess we don't consider it our mental intelligence. We sort of, maybe we could put it under physical intelligence, but it does seem like it's kind of intelligence. Um, however, all of these definitions do kind of, when you talk about ability to perform well over an environment, over a variety of environments, that kind of ignores actually understanding what you're doing. Um, and maybe the, the one from the American Psychological Association is better in that in that regard because it um, it 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 says it, it starts with the ability to understand complex ideas. Uh, then again, you know you might say if you do understand, then you that's the point of understanding. Then you could you know you could uh, 
you could then perform well in, in a wider variety of situations because if you don't understand, then you can't. So for example, like a large database can be very intelligent under some definition because it has all the information you need, but it definitely doesn't have understanding or reasoning. You might say, hey, who cares? It works. I got a database that uh, makes, my, makes my software look really intelligent. Well, that's great. Uh, and that could be the best solution in, in your case, but without understanding, it won't really scale or generalize. So you won't really get the, the general AI that kind of we're all after. So some other markers that I think of intelligence are the ability to think abstractly, maybe the ability to think in non-absolutes. That is another area of research that I find very interesting. And it's something that's very tough for machines and very easy for humans to do. Um, we can kind of grasp concepts that have a lot of fuzzy areas, whereas, you know, w when you translate that into machine language, it's sort of tough to tell it like, you know, hey, yada, 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 fill in the details. Um, humans are very, very good at that. Um, also, the ability, I think, to follow long arguments is a good marker of intelligence. Um, machines are exponentially better at following long arguments so long as the op arguments are in absolutes. So, um, for example, like if you want to build a, 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 a software that uh, checks proofs, well, you can, you can build that and it'll be able to check mathematical proofs. If you want to build software that checks the blockchain, I mean, that's what, that's what all blockchain is based off. That's what Bitcoin is based off of. Essentially, the blockchain is one long string of arguments over what happened, and it's very, very easy to verify that via machine. Humans can't really do that effectively. But try asking your uh, Amazon Echo, your Alexa, for something that's reasonably complex. You know, and contrapositives are always great. Like if you say, hey, Alexa, if I were five feet tall, would I be able to reach a 10-foot ceiling? Uh, it won't be able to answer that. Another one is, so I always gave the example, and I've given this example in episode 21 when I talked about the, the kind of philosophy of probability. Um, you know, how many molecules of water are in the ocean or in the Atlantic Ocean? And I actually did ask Alexa that, and it got an answer. It actually told me it's 4.7 times 10 to the 46, but it appears that it really doesn't understand what I'm asking in terms of how many molecules of water are in the ocean. Uh, it, it, it just appears that it is copying someone else's answer and not actually understanding the problem for itself. If it did understand the problem, then it would know that there is no uh, integer that really works. Uh, and so because, you know, the effects of um, evaporation and where does the ocean start and, you know, there's probably some quantum effects there as well. So um, do we have to think about that? Well, no. Someone came up with a very good, uh, a very good estimate right here which is 4.7 times 10 to the 46 molecules of water in the ocean. I, I think that's the world oceans, not, not just the Atlantic Ocean. But in any case, otherwise, it would just be like 10 to the 45th instead of 10 to the 46th. But uh, not much of a difference. Uh, but um, but uh, yeah, I feel like it's, you know, it's it's one thing to, it, it would be tough to teach a machine like, hey, you could think of the, ocean as being made of a set of particles, but you don't have to define exactly which are in and out. Uh, but if you did, you know, the fuzziness would kind of, kind of cancel out. That's a very hard thing for a machine to understand. Uh, so, okay. 
I'm going to just end with uh, the Wikipedia article, which gives some quotes on what intelligence is and see what you guys think of it. Uh, So the first is um, from psychologist Linda Gottfriedson. I think a lot, I'm not the first, but actually I, I found this was the simplest. And that one was the ability to deal with cognitive complexity. So I feel like that is not a bad one. Um, and it's, it's simple and it actually feels like it's from someone who has a good grasp of what intelligence is. Uh, another couple of good ones that I found from the article were, here's another one, judgment, otherwise called good sense, practical sense, initiative, the faculty of adapting oneself to circumstances, autocritique. That's Alfred Benet, Bennett, maybe. Uh, and another one is the aggregate or global capacity of the individual to act purposefully, to think rationally and to deal effectively with his environment. Again, that word environment comes up, David Weichler. So the environment means that you actually have to have some kind of external challenge that you're trying to overcome. And in this case, uh, it needs to act purposefully, which I think would mean, would apply only to natural intelligences, because maybe... Uh, artificial intelligence or even emergent intelligence, you can argue, doesn't act purposefully. That's sort of, a, you know, uh, emergent intelligence you could think of as like invisible hand-like stuff. Uh, but And artificial, it's like, well, I'm just following a program, so maybe it doesn't work. But again, you have some very complex environment. You have to think about it, and you have to interact with it, and it's not just a simple algorithm. Uh, you have to actually deal with a lot of complexity, a lot of different situations. I feel like that's sort of where we're going here. There was one that I felt was the most, was the craziest one, the most WTF was out there. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's, it's a poor one, but it's sort of like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. It's from Alexander Wisner Gross. Uh, it says here, intelligence is a force, F, that acts to maximize future freedom of action. It acts to maximize future freedom of action or keep options open with some strength T with the diversity of possible accessible futures S up to some future time horizon tau. Is that a T, a tau? In short, intelligence doesn't like to get trapped. That's, when I read that, I was like, what? But you know, I think that what he's trying to say here is that uh, intelligence is something that is not, um, you know, you can't really, uh, you can't really boil it down to it's, it's something that does Y when X happens. It's something that's more open-ended and very complicated and is kind of open to newness and even opens itself up to newness. So that's, I don't know, it's an interesting one. I want to think about that a little bit more. What do you think? What do you think intelligence is? You can email me at localmaxradio at gmail.com or remember to join our locals at maximum.locals.com. It's been a pleasure trying to go through these thoughts and these ideas with you today. I think the, to sum it up, I would say that, first of all, uh, the idea of defining intelligence is a lot more difficult than I thought, and there is a lot more that's been written about it than you can possibly imagine. Um, it's hard to compare natural intelligence and artificial intelligence. Um, and so it's, 
even if we do have a definition of intelligence, it's hard to compare them. But if you can't compare them, then do you really have a good definition? And finally, I think that understanding and um, I, I think that um, when it comes to artificial intelligence, understanding what's really going on, actually understanding the environment, making hypotheses about the environment and testing them uh, is going to, is kind of the, the big frontier. And that's going to make our AIs and our algorithms more explainable. Uh, it's going to fix a lot of the language problems that we, we think about. But it's sort of research that, uh, that needs to be done. There's no guarantee that there's actually going to be a good solution on it. But, you know, I would hope that there, there are better solutions than there are today. Um, and so I feel like that is the key to unlocking greater intelligence uh, just so that we could have, I don't know, better, better software, better worlds, and also like augmenting our own intelligence uh, because, you know, as I said before, I feel like we're kind of stuck in, in a rut in the kind of age of big data uh, and uh, maybe we need something better. All right, next week, hopefully have Aaron back here and we are going to talk about all these changes that are taking place, all this exciting stuff. If you guys have been online, uh, you might see, uh, or if you've been on the locals, you might have seen a, uh, a, a, kind of, um, a kind of preview to what we did with the studio here. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we'll give you a lot more about what's going on. So stay tuned for that. Next week in episode 193, all the show notes are on localmaxradio.com slash 192. You get all the articles that we talked about today, both article, uh, both the, uh, both the article in the BBN times, the, uh, the, uh, the detoxifying language models, uh, uh, the paper and the related episode and Wikipedia intelligence. You can look that up yourself, but I will still put it online. Localmaxradio.com slash 192. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.